This is the Get Books Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 271, and we're recording on March 2nd. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. It's March! It's March! There's there's some sun March. outside. Look, I'm in a good mood. <laughs> <laughs> it's sunny. It was been, you know, we've had the ice storm of death. Everyone did. It seems yeah. like every state for like all of February. February was a hellscape. Mm-hmm. April is not the coolest month. April is fine. February is the worst month on the calendar and I will die on this hill Yeah, that no one is fighting me for so there's no real reason right. for me to die on it but still but now it's like it's sunny we have a one shot vaccine coming I like texted my I haven't, you know I haven't met my book club in months because so nobody has right and I sent them all a text this morning it was like y'all we might be able to meet in like May <gasps> or June like that might that might really happen and I was just so happy about oh, it oh yay <laughs> people two of them are teachers and they, my teacher friends have already gotten their vaccines thank god and then it's just you know the rest of us right so right it's exciting it's exciting times y'all we're doing it <laughs> we're getting there we are it's so true it's so true anyway those are my happy feelings which I really never have so I'm happy to have them today <laughs> Uh, let's talk about books. Yeah, let's do it. Shall we? Okay. So how this show works, as I said, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So you can send those to us via email at getbooktobookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form in the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive, please put that in the subject line of the email. If you use the form, just put it in big, bold, all caps at the beginning of the request so that we can see it in our spreadsheet. If we have already answered your question or we're not going to get to it on time, we will email you back. And that's why we ask for your email address. Um, We have two pieces of feedback here, one from Lauren, who says for Mo, who wanted a book for his seven-year-old, I recommend the book Tilly and the Book Wanderers by Anna James. It's the first in the Pages and Co. series about a little girl who lives with her grandparents who work in a bookstore, and she learns that she has the power to bring book characters to life and brings her favorite book characters, Anne from Anne of Green Gables and Alice from Alice in Wonderland, to life, and they go on adventures. Well, that sounds charming. It really I does. I like read that myself. We also have a piece of feedback from Lini, who says, a suggestion for Neve from number six last week, wanting a comp for Lovely War. Um, Strange the Dreamer by Lainey Taylor has the mythology and romance they are looking for. All right. Thank you so much for the feedback. Um, Jen's going to read us her first question, and away we will go. All right. Here we go. First question is from Emily, who says, at the recommendation of the podcast, last year I read and loved Braiding Sweetgrass and The Overstory. (laughs) I know. We're like dusting off our shoulders over here. Emily says, I'm looking for more books to add to my TBR list with naturalist elements. Is there a book version of Planet Earth, but with trees and plants? Like many, I've had a challenging year with quarantine stress and non-COVID health issues, so I would prefer something that isn't a portrait of grief, ages for Hawk, beautiful but too sad, or about the total destruction of our world as we know it due to climate change. Open to all genres except horror, and please no sexual violence or violence towards children. I love to see a recommendation request that comes in based on other books we've recommended. That's always Uh super satisfying. All right. But before we give our picks, let's do a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, long after we are gone by Tara Shelton Harris, 
is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done at... She wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, I'm just going to keep talking because I'm so excited to finally have an excuse to recommend (laughs) this book. I picked World of Wonders by Amy Nezuka Matatel. And this book is stunning. It's illustrated by Fumi Nakamura. And even just like looking at the cover, you'll see like there's these gorgeous illustrations of plants and animals and all kinds of things. And the author is a poet. And I think you can tell in the same way that like when you read Ross Gay's Book of Delights, like it's not poetry, but they're so good at word choice and at like setting a scene and, you know, giving you these like short, pithy essays about whatever it is. And Nezuka Matatil is doing this about the natural world. And her story is really interesting. She her mother is Filipina and her doctor uh, is from India. And she grew up in, like, a bunch of different places in the U.S., like Kansas and Ohio and New York, and, you know, struggled with, like, feeling out of place in some of these locales. But she was always sort of drawn to nature and has this really profound relationship with, like, the tree that she would pass on her walk home from school or, you know, getting obsessed with, like, axolotls or peacocks or whatever it is. And she gives us sort of moments from throughout her life. She, you know, gets married. She has her own children. She deals with all kinds of things. But through it all is this beautiful thread of how the natural world informs those moments in her life. So it's it's beautifully written. It's beautifully illustrated. It, like, it has just so much going for it. And there are some really fun sort of factoids. Uh, but more than that, it's just like the the vibe of being immersed in nature as a person in the world. It just is lovely. So again, that is World of Wonders by Amy Nezuka Matatil, illustrated by Fumi Nakamura. 
All right, I got kind of fixated on the planet Earth, but with trees part <laughs> of this question. Uh, so I went with The Nature Fix by Florence Williams. The subtitle of this is Why Nature Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Creative. And this is really like a sciencey ode to tree hugging. Literal <laughs> tree hugging. Going outside and embracing the trees. <laughs> you are, what is that? What is that? Doc, is it a Dr. Seuss book? I am the, what is it? The Lorax. I, I speak for the, the Lorax. Thank you. You are the Lorax. This is a book about how you are the Lorax. So Florence Williams is an editor at Outside Magazine. And she go. she's writing this book about the science behind how nature positively impacts the human brain. So not just like nature is pretty and nature is important for the climate and like trees are good for, you know, the environment, we need to save them, but like how standing in a grove of trees physically affects your brain. And it does. It has really measurable effects on mental health and uh, stimulates certain parts of the brain and like calms other parts of the brain. When Rebecca first read this book, she talked about fractals for like a million years. And it's a it's a fascinating thing that like trees grow in this very specific kind of mathematical visual pattern that is very appealing to the human eye and causes like releases calming hormones through your brain. So it's a both and uh, like a scientific ode, you know, to the trees, but also a look at different societies around the world and how they are or are not encouraging their citizens to get out. And like, um, I think it's in Japan, they they do forest bathing where, you know, it's like a like a known thing where you go hang out in the forest for a bit and then you feel better. Um, and I think especially right now, we could all use a little bit of that coming out of COVID winter. So it is, it's got that planet Earth, like big sweeping sciencey look at this beautiful thing that's on our planet and isn't it cool? But then also like, no, really, if you hang a hammock under two trees and just stare at them for 30 minutes, you will feel better. And here's the science that shows you how. And that's actually like real useful. So that's The Nature Fix by Florence William. Love that book. All right. Question two is from Kelly, who says, I'm sure you've recommended this type of book before, but I don't know how to find them. Oh, actually, we don't really have searchable. I'm going to put a pin in that. We'll come back to that. Um, I have not read a romance book in years and feel the need to. I cannot remember a book that would closely match what type I would like to read. It's the will they or won't they type of romance. Some examples of TV shows that display this are Castle, uh, Moonlighting, The Nanny. Oh, Fran, Mr. Sheffield. <laughs> I love that show so much. Um, the X-Files with Mulder and Scully, etc. There's a few more examples here. Mostly 80s shows. Once they're together... Once the couple's together, I'm no longer interested. Also, bonus, if the woman in the story somehow gets hurt physically and he helps her, I'm not picky as to if it's an action, contemporary fantasy, gothic, historical romance, etc. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, I picked the Veronica Speedwell historical mystery series by Deanna Rayburn. The first book is called A Curious Beginning. This is just, this takes place in the Victorian era, and there is a main romance through line. I have read up to book three, and I'm if I'm remembering correctly, they are not together. Like, it's a very slow burn, like, much to the frustration of many Goodreads reviewers, right? <laughs> um, but I cannot make promises past that, because there are more books than that in the series, so they might have, they might be together right now, and I just don't know. But for the first few books, you're good. So Veronica Speedwell is an amazing character. She is, like, a what they describe as a blue stocking. She's a scientist, a lepidopterist. She studies, like, moths and butterflies and things. Um, and when the book opens, she's an orphan. Her She's being raised by her aunt. Uh, who's a spinster, you know, as they say, and her aunt has just died. And so she's, Veronica, uh, you know, has a little bit of an inheritance. She's going to go travel the world and, like, you know, do what single ladies do. She has a rule that she never sleeps with Englishmen. Like, she never sleeps with anybody in England, only on her adventures, because she doesn't want to deal with the hassle. She never wants to get married. She just wants to, like, travel and see things and, and study her butterflies. 
except she gets kidnapped in the middle of her escape plan to like go start all of these travels by a German baron who says that she, that he knows her parents and has all these secrets about her past. And he offers to have her stay for a few days with his friend Stoker, who's a natural historian, while the baron goes and like gathers these secrets about her past to tell her. But then the baron is murdered and Stoker is immediately a suspect. And so Stoker and Veronica have to go on the run for reasons that you like get to. So she is, is they're solving this mystery of who murdered this, uh, the German baron who is like her newfound friend who had all these secrets about where she came from because she doesn't really know who her parents were so much. And while that's happening, she's got this like kind of thing starting with Stoker. Now I will say that Stoker is a jerk. He is a um, gruff, like very heavily traumatized from war and what have you, closed off hedgehog and i don't mean hedgehog in the like squishy center spiky outside he has no squishy center he is just a jerk um and i the romance is is very chemistry oriented like they've got a lot of heat the two of them so that's fun to read but if you have a problem with like alpha holes he's gonna grate you the wrong way but it was spicy enough for me to get past that even though alpha holes really do kind of bother me and then, you know, they, they go off and they're like, they do it a circus. It's just bananas. And it's super, super fun. And they continue solving mysteries throughout. And it's got that kind of relationship where, you know, he's a jerk to her. And she's like, oh, that's cute that, like, you think you can tell me what to do or that your opinion matters to me in any way, which <laughs> is the only relationship that I can read about where, like, the guy is domineering like that. <laughs> it's where the woman just, like, completely ignores it because they don't ever know how to handle it in fiction. It's funny. Okay. So that's A Curious Beginning, which is book one in the Veronica Speedwell series by Deanna Rayborn. Yeah, so when I was reading this question, I was thinking about, like, is this romance? Like, category romance. Do you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. there absolutely are slow burn romances out there. But the thing about a slow burn romance novel is that they're going to end up together, like, probably three quarters of the way through the book. And if that's going to ruin it for you, like, I just don't know, like, how many category romance is going to scratch this itch for you. Um, so, and I actually had a completely different pick, but then I was reading this just the my actual pick just for fun over the weekend, and I was like, well, this is so perfect for this question. So I'm recommending the Lady Sherlock series by Sherry Thomas, which is a historical cozy mystery. And the reason I am picking this series is because I was just reading A Conspiracy in Belgravia, which is number two in the series. Uh, there are three books out currently. And it is the most will-they-won't-they thing of ever, like, to the point where the mystery is sort of not that important, actually. Like, really, to me, the A plot in this book is the tension between Lady Sherlock and Lord Ingram. Like, there are other things going on, but all I could see on the page was this, like, oh my gosh, how is this going to affect, like, they're kind of circling around each other and is something going to happen, but it can't happen, but will it? Like, that was the feeling that I got from this book, and they don't end up together at the end of it. So, like, there's more to come in book three, which I haven't held to the library right now. So I feel like if that's the feeling that you want, like this series will absolutely give it to you and super duper the second one, A Conspiracy in Belgravia, which like you should probably read the first one first because they're fun and like, why not? But this one, I think is going to really answer this need for you. 
So again, that is the Lady Sherlock series by Sherlock. Oh, I guess I should say what it is. It's like a it's like a Victorian gender bent Sherlock Holmes. Her name is Charlotte Holmes, and she's you know from like a wealthy family. Um, and she's is she a sociopath? Question mark. She's like not. <laughs> she's not super into like feelings or emotions. She's extremely intelligent. She's her their parents are horrible. She's got two other sisters, so she's just like plotting to get out of the house. And to do what she wants to do, which she cannot do as, like, a respected society woman. So she, like, arranges to be ruined uh, at the beginning of the first book. And is like, now I will go solve crimes, basically. Like, that's basically what happens. And it's really delightful. There's a lot of great supporting characters. Uh, And there is this intensely will-they-won't-they with this guy, Lord Ingram, who is married to somebody else. It's all very complicated. Again, those are by Sherry Thomas. All right. Our next question is from Julia, who says, after years of working from home, I'm about to start commuting again and will be spending at least two hours a day in the car. I'm hoping for an entertaining and engaging audiobook with a plot that hooks you in to help me pass the time. I'd prefer fiction, as right now I only really listen to nonfiction audiobooks and am looking to expand my horizons, but I'm open to anything. I'm open to any genre. My favorites are mysteries slash whodunits, fantasy and historical fiction. Amanda, what did you pick? Um, the longest audiobook possible. I picked, I didn't realize that when I picked it, but your commute is two hours a day, so I think it'll be fine. I picked A Declaration of the Rights of Magicians by H.G. Perry, which is the first book in the Shadow Histories series. And you said you liked mysteries, fantasy, and historical fiction, and this is all of those things with vampires. Like in what, just one big, squishy genre bender. And it's uh, 20 hours long on audio. So I think that, you know, plenty of material for you. Um, So this takes historical fiction, uh, real historical figures, and puts them into uh, the Enlightenment. Like William Pitt is the prime minister. Robespierre, you know, exists. And all of those people are uh, historical figures who, who really were alive, but then gives them the ability to perform magic. And in this universe, magic in Britain, at least, is illegal for commoners like the house of lords has access to some of their magical abilities but quote-unquote you know normies aren't supposed to do magic unless it's in self-defense and then that is really hard to prove the prisons are like stuffed full of people who have either accidentally or on purpose displayed some sort of magical ability there are also necromancers and vampires um robespierre himself is a necromancer which is a secret not in the book but like from everybody around him and so you've got William Pitt, who again is the prime minister, and he's like super young when the book opens. I think he's 19 or 20, like very, very young. Um, And he has all of these really stars in his eyes, idealistic political aspirations to make magic okay for people to do. He doesn't like the classism of the House of Lords being able to access magic, but other people not being able to is something that he's like here to get rid of. Also to Saint Lovator from Haiti, um, who was leading the slaves in a revolt, is a weather mage. And so he's got, there's like that situation is going on. It's a very multinational, historical, political opera happening with all of these different figures who in real life did fight for various civil rights doing that in their respective countries, but with some kind of magical twist or... um magical secret like William Pitt himself has a secret about his magical abilities that you get like I'm like two-thirds of the way no not that probably about a third of the way into the book so I'm not gonna tell you what it is and there so like behind all of this this like political upheaval that's happening and this big social change that's happening there is uh like 
unknown force that you get peaks of at first that gets bigger and bigger as the book goes that is inciting humanity to more and more violence. So there's like a dark behind the scenes puppeteer thing happening. Everybody's got magical powers. Everybody gets has secrets. And some of these people command armies. So like complicated, right? <laughs> so that is A Declaration of the Rights of Magicians by H.G. Perry. Yeah, we went in very much the same direction for this question, unsurprisingly, uh, because I I was so excited to give you something that is a mystery, a fantasy, and historical. So I'm <laughs> recommending a series. Uh, there are two books out. Well, they're technically novellas, and then the third book is coming out. It's a full-length novel this year. It's the Fatma al-Sharawi series by P. Jelly Clark. Um, and the first one is A Dead Jinn in Cairo which is happens to be an hour and 40 minutes. So it's like a one commute listen. And I am obsessed with this <laughs> series. We've talked about it a bunch on SFF. Yeah. And it is just so good because it's this really cool sort of like steampunky historical alternate history in which Cairo has escaped being colonized by the British because of the actions of this like Sudanese mystic who opened a hole in the veils of reality and like magic came through. So now there's jinn, there's these beings who call themselves angels, but like juries out on what exactly that means. People have magic. There's all kinds of things going on. And the Egyptian citizens, like, harness that power to free themselves from colonization. So, like, Cairo is now this, like, bustling, powerful, progressive city and is, you know, doing its own thing. It's a world. It's a force in the world. And the main character, Fatma, is a supernatural detective lady. Super awesome. She's one of the few females on this supernatural detective force, and she is, like, the most dapper. Like, she wears Western-style suits because she loves the fashion of them and has, like, a bowler hat and a cane and is, like, super, super dapper, like I said. And as you might guess from the title, there is a dead djinn who turns up in Cairo who appears to have died by suicide in this very strange way. Uh, and it turns into this whole, like, conspiracy and who's doing what and why and nefarious plots are afoot, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the characters are amazing. This world that Clark has built is fascinating to play in. And I've read the whole series, like, up and to and in, including the book that comes out later this year. And I love all of them. And yeah, they're all on audio of varying lengths. I am like super excited for you to discover this because I think it's going to be very much in your wheelhouse. So again, that's the Fatma al-Sha'arawi series by P. Jelly Clark. And the first book is A Dead Jinn in Cairo. All right. Our next question is from Rhiannon, who says, I'm getting married in May and we're going to Washington, D.C. and Baltimore for our honeymoon. I've been to both, but realized I've never read any books that take place in these cities. Do you have any recommendations? I love YA, fantasy, historical fiction, and mystery thriller genres. My favorite authors are J.K. Rowling, Steve Barry, Cassandra Clare, and John Green. And my favorite books are Phantom of the Opera, A Great and Terrible Beauty, Sharp Objects, and The Time Traveler's Wife. I don't mind romance in a story, but I typically don't like romance novels. Classics are fine if they fit the bill. Okay, I picked a YA contemporary mystery thriller. Again, I picked, I like fixated on a couple of the um, genres that you named and then jumped on it. So uh, mashup for you. It's called The Fixer. It's by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. And this is like, man, if a teenage version of Scandal, almost. <laughs> so it's, which Scandal is my favorite show. Um, so 
Oh, I'm looking at the Goodreads reviews right now, and it says Scandal meets Veronica Mars. So there you go. I was correct in my summation. So it's about a, a girl named Tess who is 16, and she's grown up on a ranch, lived there her whole life, and then her estranged sister, Ivy, comes and takes her to D.C., uproots her and moves her to D.C., where Ivy works as an adult fixer. So, you know, the Olivia kind of figure in this book. And so Tess starts at Hardwick Academy, which is a, a school in D.C. for children of, like, the very rich and the very powerful. And as she becomes, like, accustomed to her surroundings, where, like, everything is a power play and everything is about politics and everything is about money and who is in charge of what, she becomes a fixer for these kids. Because this is, like, the world that she has grown up in, and it's her way to exercise power in this situation where she is new and doesn't necessarily have, you know, all of the the social clout that these very wealthy kids from very powerful political families come from. So she starts to gather, she, like, collects their secrets, right? That's what fixers do. And then fixes their problems. And so she had the the cast of characters in this book also reminded me of Scandal because some of them are, like, you're not a spy. Stop it. You're just like a goofball <laughs> friend who like lives next door to this girl. You know, very much in that same way that some of the characters in Scandal, you're like, mm, okay, well, I guess you just shot that guy. I guess you are a spy. Never mind. I take it back. Um, and so it's got a goofy, goofy best friend kind of situation uh, who is amazing. And she collects these people around her who help her, you know, like solve these mysteries. She gets one specific like, conspiracy becomes the central plot of the book, which is one of her newfound, it involves the family of one of her newfound friends. There's like a love triangle. It involves her family and her family's secrets. So there's a lot of, you know, mystery drama for you to figure out. But you're really in it for like Tess, for this character who is sarcastic and really witty. She like threatens a classmate at one point by talking into like a lot of detail about how she grew up on a ranch and knows how to castrate bulls. <laughs> and it's like, the, I'm here for this. Like, this is a great power moment that you're having. <laughs> like this flex, this weird farm flex <laughs> is the best flex that I have like ever read in YA. It's great. Um, so it's a lot of fun. And you know, that whole DC, it's it's a it's a caricature, right? Like, it, I'm sure that DC is not entirely like this, but I'm also sure that it's kind of a little like this. I don't know. You know, like Scandal... It might be a little bit true. I feel like it has to be a little bit true. Okay, so that's The Fixer by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. Yeah, I also got stuck on YA action thrillers, and I'm also recommending a DC book. It's Love is the Drug by Aliyah Don Johnson. And this is such... Ugh, I, okay, so I will give a warning here before I get into it that there's like a deadly virus in this book that I compl- I completely forgot that, that I've read this years ago um, and I completely <laughs> forgot that that was part of the plot. So, you know, if you're not interested in reading about that right now, I will totally understand. But also, it's a really good book. So the main character is Emily Bird, who lives in D.C. and is part of this very elite Black community in D.C. Like, the whole Talented 10th concept comes into play here in a lot of different ways. Um, And she is, like, trying very hard to tick all of the boxes. She has the right hair. She has the right boyfriend. She's going to go to the Ivy League school. Like, she's doing all of the things. But then at a party, she has a weird run-in with a Homeland Security agent and, like, ends up waking up a couple days later in a hospital, doesn't remember how she got there. In the meantime, her parents are scientists. There's this, like, flu on the loose there's quarantines and all of these things. And this Homeland Security agent thinks that, like, she knows something about this virus, which, like, she doesn't. She is, like, very mm. sure that she has no idea what's going on. And she ends up teaming up with this kind of, like, shady guy. Like, he deals drugs and is, like, a very 
free-spirited dude who is the opposite of anybody that she is supposed to be friends with to find out, like, what is going on. And it is, it's very action-y. There's, like, a lot of, like, running around D.C., like, trying not to get spotted and, like, investigating things. And that's why I thought of it is because, oh, I have such a strong sense memory from this book of D.C. as a city. And I feel like it would give you those vibes. And, like, maybe you could even, like, go and, like, recreate some of it. I mean, not don't recreate. (laughs) But you know what I mean. Find some locations from the book. So, yeah, and uh, the characters are great. I always love Aliyah Don Johnson's books, and this one is no exception. So, again, that's Love is the Drug by Aliyah Don Johnson. And it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surrounds St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. So our next question is from Lini, who says, I've read a bunch of very good books on your recommendation, and I wanted to ask if you had any read-alikes for the Nero Wolf series. I've read a number of the books, and I love the vintage mystery vibe, the mostly bloodless crimes, and I especially love the quippy Archie Goodwin. What I don't love so much is the misogyny and racism. I know the books get better at this as they go forward, but there are several that are just real uncomfortable reads. Do y'all know of anything with the old-fashioned setting, but not not the old-fashioned bigotry, maybe even some queer or POC rep. Amanda, this was a tough one. Yeah, um, I haven't recommended this book at all this year, so I've 
am happy to come back to it. I picked The Widows of Malabar Hill, which is the first book in the Pervine Mystery series, of which there are, I think, three or four now at this point. I think three. Um, It's by Sujata Massey. I love this mystery series so much. Oh, and it does come with a trigger warning for domestic violence, the first book. Because it has that very uh, gilded, kind of almost Edwardian setting um, to it, but without... But with a POC main character and a woman, and without a lot of the, you know, you read some Agatha Christie and you're just like, this is cringy, like that. Ugh. Yikes. Um, so this takes place in Bombay in 1921. And Praveen is the daughter of a really well-respected lawyer uh, in her neighborhood. He owns a law firm. Um, and she herself got a legal education at Oxford and has come back to work at her father's firm. So she's one of the first female lawyers practicing in India. Um, She also has a really tragic personal backstory that you get more of through flashbacks as the book continues. And so her backstory has made her really intent on using her law degree to defend the rights of women in her town. But because she is a woman, there's like not a lot of openings for her. Like the clients aren't all necessarily comfortable working with her. She can't go before the court to argue cases. So it's like, what, what kind of role is she supposed to have here? Now, her father's law firm is handling the will of a man named Mr. Farid, who is a wealthy Muslim owner of a mill who has died, and he has three widows. But as she's, as so Praveen is in charge of this case, and as she's going through the paperwork, like processing his will, she notices that the three women have all signed their inheritances over to a charity, which doesn't make any sense because now, you know, all three of them have children. One of them is pregnant. Like there's now they're not going to have any way to support themselves. And the, the widows are in Purda, meaning that they are in very strict seclusion in mourning. They cannot leave their, the women's quarters in their home, and they are not allowed to see any men they aren't related to. So no, so her father, who was their attorney, can't go help them and ask them, like, why did you give all of your money away? Something is fishy here. So Praveen, being a woman and having legal expertise, becomes their advocate. So she goes to see them to try and figure out, you know, what's at the bottom of this crime. And I will say it starts as a bloodless crime. Like, when I started reading this, I was like, oh, the mystery here is just who's trying to swindle these women. But then somebody dies. It's not one of the women. But then somebody is murdered. So, like, it doesn't stay bloodless. But the guy who's murdered is real and obnoxious. So you're kind of not sad about it. Anyway, um, so then it becomes not just who's trying to swindle these women, but also who murdered the obnoxious guy in the courtyard. And Praveen is just, oh, she's so satisfying, you know? Like, you get those characters that are just like, yes, she says everything that you want her to say, right? Like, every quip, every, like, don't let him talk to you that way. And then she doesn't let him talk to her that way. I just love it so much. Okay, so it's The Widows of Malabar Hill by Sujat Tomasi. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I struggled with the quippy part of this. I got, I was like, oh, I can't give you a not quippy book because you said you said you especially love that um so i'm recommending a contemporary series so it doesn't have the like you know vintage vibe as much but it is i think it'll work for you in different ways it's the gethsemane brown series by alexia gordon uh the first is murder in g major and this the this series also has some supernatural elements so like again a little outside of your wheelhouse but i do think you might enjoy it it is about a woman named Gethsemane Brown, who is an African-American. She's a classical musician, and she's kind of at this turning point in her career. She thought she was going to get this, you know, position and this orchestra, and then somebody else got it, and she's sort of devastated. And she gets this offer to come teach at a school in Ireland, of all places, And, like, they specifically want her because they want to win this orchestra competition. So she's given this sort of thankless task of, like, 
move to Ireland, move into this like random cottage and, you know, whip these like lackadaisical teenagers into shape to win this local competition that like everybody really cares about. And she's like, well, I I mean, I genuinely don't have anything else going on. So I guess I'll do this. Like, what else am I going to do? So she takes the job. The cottage is haunted. There's all of these like, you know, local shenanigans going on. And she is so salty. It's really delightful. And her relationship with, like, the ghost is also extremely salty. Like, it is It is very enjoyable how just annoyed she is with everything all the time. It's very—I enjoyed it a whole lot. I also really like the musical elements in this book. And I enjoy the ghosty bits because it, I mean, it just feels like it feels like it works in this world that uh, Alexia Gordon has created really well. So, uh, yeah, uh, the first one, again, is Murder in G Major. I will give a, a quick note that there's a ableist language in that one. So just a heads up. And that is the Gethsemane Brown series. All right. Our next question is from Deb, who says, This is heavy, but I'm looking for a memoir of someone that has survived childhood sexual abuse. It's my personal narrative, and sometimes I feel comforted by hearing other survivor stories. However, it's hard to search for those. I'm not looking for memoirs with overly graphic detail, just how they came out of it. Okay, I picked I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings by Maya Angelou, which of course has a trigger warning for rape and also racism. And this is her memoir that was written at the um, urging of James Baldwin, (laughs) which like when James Baldwin tells you to write something, like you do that shiz. So Maya did that shiz. And she grew up um, abandoned by her parents. And so she was raised mostly, I think the book opens when she's three and then ends when she has a baby at 17. So she's raised by her grandmother in a little town in Arkansas with her brother, Bailey. And they experience a lot, a lot of racism. It's Jim Crow South, right? So a lot of just everyday grind you down racism. And Maya turns out to be, uh, of course, as we all know, in hindsight, a super genius. (laughs) And so she finds solace in excelling in school. Of course, the problem is that there aren't a lot of academic opportunities for black girls in the South at this time. And so um, her father comes to get her and her brother. He like reappears in their life when she's eight and takes her and her brother back to her mom in St. Louis thinking like, oh, she'll have more opportunities in St. Louis than she would in Arkansas. And she is in Arkansas, or no, in St. Louis, she's raped by her mother's fiance. And that turns it like he is, he goes to prison or like he goes on trial. He's arrested. He goes on trial. He's found, um, I think he's found guilty if I remember correctly. And then he's murdered and she feels personally responsible for his death because she thinks it was like her family that did it. It's, uh, you know, a whole criminal saga. So all of these terrible things happening to her compound her kind of feelings of inferiority or worthlessness, she becomes more and more internalized and then eventually moves to California, where her mother is. And there she really learns to kind of start coming out of herself. And the way that she overcomes or the way that she describes overcoming a lot of this trauma is through reading, like through discovering how much she loves Shakespeare, through discovering how much she loves literature, and how those gave her, what's the term, like handholds to pull herself a little bit out of being so internalized. There are times when she's so internalized that some people think that she can't speak. But eventually, you know, in California, she starts to read and learn and become really invested in her academic future. She gets a job. I didn't know this until I read this, but she was the first black train car conductor or black female train car conductor Mm. in San Francisco. What did Maya not do? She did all the things, including the things that like you never would never have occurred to you like that one. 
yeah, so she becomes more and more able to find her voice through books, reading, literature, academics, and then, you know, um, she does become pregnant. And that's where the book ends when she um, hides it from her family for as long as she possibly can so that she can graduate from high school and continue her life after that. So lots going on in Maya Angelou's life in her in her early years. But I think that this will ring the bell that you're looking for, where it's not it's not like overtly graphic. This is a book that's taught in middle school in a lot of places, but she's not going to gloss over what happened to her or belittle or like make light of the things that she had to do to overcome it. So as I know why the cage bird sings by Maya Angelou. Such a good book. Whew. All right. I picked Man Alive by Thomas Page McBee, which also obviously comes with warnings for child abuse, as well as transphobia and uh, disassociation and PTSD. So Thomas was uh, abused by his father as a child. And the book is like very like the details are really not important. And, you know, the way that McBee makes that clear, I think, is really powerful because what this book is very much about is coming to terms with, like, who you are as a person, both as a survivor, but outside of that. And his struggle is that he is also trans and doesn't really come to this realization until I think he's in his 20s or like late 20s, maybe even. And, you know... It's a really difficult moment for him because he has associated a lot of bad feelings about men because of what happened to him as a child. So having to come to the terms with the, both the fact that, like, he is trans and a man when he has all of these complicated feelings about what it means to be a man is mm. the thing that this book is about. So, like, how do you make your how do you move past that? How do you, like, decide how to move on from that? Like, is there a piece to be made there? Like, what does he need to hear from his father? Or does he need to hear anything at all? Like, what does he want to say to his mom? Like, it's very much about processing how to become the person you are and not let all that trauma, you know, dictate that for you. So it's an incredibly powerful story of, like, owning yourself and, you know, moving past, which is what it sounds like you're looking for. Um, and McBee is a, an amazing writer, has written other books that I definitely recommend. Um, but, yeah, if you're looking for, you know, that kind of survivor narrative where, like, you're not just going to survive, but, like, you're going to own your story and thrive, like, this is such a good book for that. So, again, that is Man Alive by Thomas Page McBee. All right. Our last question is from Zach, who says, my girlfriend and I are currently doing a book club of two this year and looking to add some thriller slash horror books to our list. There is absolutely no urgency to this request because our to be read list is already very long. We really like books that have social justice leaning subjects. For instance, both of us are big fans of The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones, When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole and Gone Girl, probably my girlfriend's favorite book. Also, Red, White, and Royal Blue is fantastic and probably would not have read it if it were not for this podcast. So if you just want to recommend something you want more people to read, please do that instead. Zach, you have just <laughs> made Amanda's year. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You're welcome. Love it so much. Uh, Amanda, what did you pick for this? Okay, I picked The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. I think that it's got about the same spookiness level as the books that you named, the Alyssa Cole and the Stephen Graham Jones. 
This was pitched to me as Steel Magnolias meets Dracula, which, look, I am literally wearing a Steel Magnolias t-shirt right now, so nothing could have made me pick up a book faster than saying it's Steel Magnolias meets literally anything else. Like, I am here to read that book. So, it, and when, when you read the intro, Grady Hendrix talks about how he, this is a book that he wrote about his mom, which sounds weird because it is a book about killing vampires, but about growing up in, in suburbia in the South, you know, in the 90s, um, and like the kind of mothers that existed at that time. So this takes place in Charleston. It's about a woman named Patricia who had a really bright career as a nurse that she gave up to marry a doctor and have kids and become a mother. So she is a stay-at-home mom in a like pretty swanky Charleston suburb and she hates it. <laughs> like she hates it, but she doesn't feel like she has many other options. Her kids are annoying. Her to-do list is never ending. Her husband is kind of a goober. And the thing that she has that is fun and that she has to look forward to is a book club that she starts with a group of other of other moms in her neighborhood. And they tell their husbands that it's a Bible study because their husbands are all the literal worst. <laughs> so they tell their husbands that it's a Bible study. But in reality, they're reading like very sensationalistic true crime in a way that I absolutely am obsessed with. Uh, and so that's the thing that they do. And then a stranger moves in next door to Patricia, who claims to be the old the, the nephew of the old lady who lives in that house who has gone missing, weirdly. But he seems very strange and like won't come out it during the day and needs to borrow money from her to, to like get ID. He doesn't have ID. Like it's a long list of red flags that she helps him with because, you know, women, especially in the South, are socialized to never say no to men. And so she helps him with all of these things. And while all of that is going on, some local children start missing. But the local children who are missing are from the Black neighborhood that's like across the tracks, right, from where Patricia lives. So her friends are determined to not care about that. But she like will not let it go. She does her own investigation. There's no such thing as anybody else, as other people's children, right, is very much how, her, how she feels about it. And the, the, the more she gets into uncovering what's happening to these kids, the more she thinks this dude next door is responsible. And of course, her husband and all the husbands of the book club are like, you just read too many true, like that thing that dismiss it, like just dismissive. You, you, your imagination has gotten away from you. You read too many true crime novels, whatever. So she is very much on her own in solving this. Yeah. And I just love it. Like the superhero being... A stay-at-home mom is like a thing that should happen more often. I would love more books that are just like that. Could I have a series? Could it be like the Southern Book Club's Guide to Killing Werewolves? I want more <laughs> of this because it's amazing. Uh, it's just the, the adult version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? Like women in suburbia doing a thing. Love it. Okay, so that's the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. All right. The book I am recommending, which was... It's on my TBR list because several rioters have just been raving about it, is Gin Patrol on the Purple Line by Deepa Anapara. It does come with content warnings for abuse towards women and children and child deaths. And it is set in an extremely underserved section of a city in India. And it, the main character, Jai, is nine. So I like I kind of I sometimes I love it and sometimes I hate child narrators mm -hmm. in mysteries. But I have heard that this is a great one. Uh, and Jai is obsessed with police shows like reality police shows whatever he thinks that like he would be an amazing detective even though he's maybe like not the smartest uh so, you know his friends get better grades than him or whatever or they have real jobs but you know he is just convinced that this is his undiscovered talent 
And when a classmate goes missing, he decides that he's going to solve the crime because obviously that is what he's going to do. Um, And so he and his two friends, you know, start to, you know, Harriet the spy this basically. Um, But then it gets, you know... (laughs) Unsurprisingly, it gets darker. Other children start disappearing. And, you know, there's like adults kind of don't care. Like parents are afraid. The police don't care because this is, you know, like I said, an underserved community. They're like, "Eh, they probably just ran away or like, who cares? Nobody cares. And also there are rumors of, you know, jinns having snatched the souls of these children. So it's like, what is going on here? Like big tension. What is going on? Uh, And I just really cannot wait for my library hold on this to come in. Sounds amazing, and I think y'all might like it. So again, that's Gin Patrol on the Purple Line by Deepa Anapara. Oh, and that's our show. Hey, that's me. <laughs> I was look, I was staring out the window looking at a hawk. I'm sorry. I'm so distracted by March, like sunshine, and just, ooh, it's so nice. Okay, thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink, who's working overtime for this episode. Let me tell you yeah. what, we flubbed. Flub Central. Thank you so much for listening. You can find more of our recommendations on bookriot.com and all of our other podcasts, of course, at bookriot.com slash listen. We have so many, something for everyone. Please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Where's Jen? I am also mostly on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And we will talk to you all next week. 